Chapter 27 of Book of the Foundations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. Book of the Foundations by St. Teresa of Avila. Translated by the Reverend John Dalton. Chapter 27. When the foundation of Seville was finished, the foundations were discontinued for more than four years, and the reason was, because great persecutions all at once arose against our discalced friars and nuns. For, although they had before suffered many, yet not to such a degree as now, since these trials were near putting an end to everything, the devil showed sufficiently what he felt on seeing such a good beginning, which our Lord himself commenced, and which by its continued success proved to be his own work. The discalced fathers, and especially the superiors, suffered much on account of the serious accusations and contradictions endured from almost all the fathers of the mitigated rule. These had so prejudiced our most reverend father general, that, although he was a very holy man, and had himself given leave for the foundation of all the monasteries, except that of St. Joseph's in Avila, which was the first, and was erected by leave from the Pope. He insisted the discalced fathers should proceed no farther. To the monasteries of the nuns he was always favorable, and because I assisted these, they made him displeased with me, which was the greatest affliction I endured in these foundations, though I had to endure many. For, on the one hand, many learned persons to whom I confessed, and whose advice I sought, would not consent to my desisting from advancing undertakings which I clearly saw would do our Lord some service, and also increase our order, and on the other hand, to go against what I perceived was the wish of my superior. This was indeed a kind of death to me, for, besides the obligations I held towards him for being my superior, I loved him tenderly, as it was my duty. The truth is, that though I wished to please him therein, I could not, because there were apostolical visitors whom I was bound to obey. About this time the Pope's nuncio died, who was a holy man, a great lover of virtue, and a sincere friend to the discalced fathers. Another succeeded him, who it seems was sent by God to exercise us in sufferings. He was in some way related to the Pope, and though doubtless a servant of God, he began to take great pleasure in favoring the fathers of the mitigated rule, and according to the information these gave him of us, he came to the conclusion that it was better these beginnings should proceed no further, and accordingly he began to execute his plans with extreme rigor, condemning, imprisoning, and banishing all those who he supposed might resist him. Those who suffered most were Father Fray Antonio de Jesus, who convinced the first convent of the Discalced Fathers, and Father Fray Geronimo Gratian, whom the late Nuncio had made apostolic visitor of the Fathers of the Mitigated Rule. With him and Father Mariano de San Benito, he was displeased the most. Who these fathers were, I have already mentioned in the preceding foundations. Others also, who were the principal, he punished, though not so severely. He forbade these, under pain of heavy censures, not to undertake or manage any business. It was clear that all this trouble came from God, and that His Majesty permitted it for some greater good, and that the virtues of these fathers might become more known, as indeed it happened. 
he appointed a father of the mitigated rule to visit the monasteries, both of monks and friars, and had what he imagined succeeded, it would have been a great affliction to us, though in reality we suffered exceedingly, as one who knows how to speak better than I do shall tell. I only just touch on these points, in order that the nuns who come after may understand how much they are bound to advance in perfection, since what they find so easy has cost those now living very dearly. Some of them having suffered at that time heavy accusations, which afflicted me much more acutely than what I suffered myself, for this was rather a source of pleasure to me. It seemed that I was the cause of all this trouble, and that if I had been thrown into the sea, like Jonas was, the tempest would have ceased. God be praised, whoever defends the truth. And so it happened, for when our Catholic king, Don Philip, heard what had taken place, and was informed of the life and virtues of the Discalced Fathers, he took up our cause so favorably, that he would not allow the nuncio alone to judge our cause, but appointed four others in addition, sensible men, three of whom were religious, to examine the case. One of them was Father Maestro Fray Pedro Fernandez, a very holy man, and very sensible and learned. He had been apostolic commissary, and visitor of the fathers of the mitigated rule in the province of Castile, to whom the discalced fathers also were subject. He knew the truth well, how both the one and the other lived, and that all of us desired nothing else, but that this fact might be known, and thus, seeing the king had appointed him our judge i considered the business as already finished as by the mercy of god it is so now may his majesty grant it may tend to his honor and glory although many great men in the kingdom and many bishops had taken pains to acquaint the nuncio with the truth yet all would have availed but little if god had not made use of the king as his instrument we are all bound, sisters, always to recommend him to our Lord in our prayers, and those also who have assisted his cause, and that of the Virgin, our Lady, and so I earnestly recommend them to you. You now see, sisters, what opportunity I had to found monasteries. We were all engaged in prayers and penance without ceasing, that God would advance what had already commenced, if it should contribute to his glory." In the beginning of these great troubles, which, being briefly related, may appear to you few, but having been endured so long, they were very severe. And when I was in Toledo, having arrived there from the foundation of Seville, in the year 1576, a priest came to me, bringing letters from Villanueva de la Cara, sent by the community of that place. He wanted to speak to me about receiving nine women, who had united together in a hermitage of the glorious St. Anne. And this had near it a small house in which they had lived for some years, and with such recollection and sanctity, as to induce all the people to endeavor to hasten the accomplishment of their desires of being nuns. A doctor also wrote to me, a curate of that place. His name was Augustin de Hervias. He was very pious and learned. It appeared to me impossible to admit them, for these reasons. First, as they were so long accustomed to their own way of living, it seemed very difficult for them to accommodate themselves to our way. Secondly, because they hardly had anything to support themselves with, and the town has little more than a thousand inhabitants, in which little assistance could be given in the way of alms. And although the community offered to support themselves, 
they could not, it seemed to me, promise anything lasting. Thirdly, they had no house. Fourthly, it was some distance from our other monasteries. But though I was told they were very excellent persons, yet as I had not seen them, I could not judge if they possessed the qualities we require in our monasteries, and so I determined to give up the business altogether. But for this purpose, I wished to speak with my confessor first, who was Dr. Velasquez, canon and professor in Toledo, a very learned and virtuous man, who is now Bishop of Osma, for I was always accustomed not to do anything by my own judgment, but to take the advice of such persons. When he read the letters, and understood the business, he told me not to give the matter up altogether, but to return a civil answer. Because, as God had united so many hearts together for the same purpose, he wished to be served thereby. I gave an answer in such a way, that I neither absolutely accepted, nor rejected the proposal. While the people were importuning me, and procuring persons to induce me to grant their request, I passed into the year 1580, and still it always seemed to me a foolish thing to admit them. Yet, as I returned an answer, I could not give an unfavorable one. It happened that Father Antonio de Jesus came to the monastery of Our Lady of Succor to finish his banishment. This house is three leagues from the town of Villanueva, where he went to preach, and the father prior of this convent, who is now Father Gabriel de la Ascension, a very learned man and a great servant of God, accompanied him, for they were both friends of Dr. Ervias. Taking this opportunity, they began to converse with these holy sisters, and so pleased were they with their virtue, and persuaded by the people and the doctor, that they undertook the business as if it were their own, and began to urge me by letters to admit them. Being in St. Joseph's Monastery of Malagon, which is about twenty-six leagues distant from Villa Nueva, the same Father Prior came there to speak to me on the matter, giving me an account of what could be done, and telling me that after it was founded, Dr. Ervias would give three hundred ducats as a revenue, from a benefice he held and procured from Rome. This offer made me uncertain what to do, though it could not be depended on. Still, were it done, the money would be sufficient, together with what little they possessed. However, I gave the Father Prior many reasons why it was not wise to admit them, and in my judgment, they were good reasons. I also said, that both he and Father Fray Antonio should consider the matter well, for I left it to their conscience, thinking I had already said enough to put an end to the undertaking. After he departed, I considered how bent he was on the business, and that he might perhaps persuade our present superior, who was Dr. Fray Angel de Salazar, to admit them. I wrote to him immediately, desiring him not to grant the license, and giving him my reasons for so wishing. He answered he would not, unless I approved of it. About six weeks, or perhaps a little more, had passed away, when I began to consider the matter as quite at an end. But just then came a messenger with letters from the community, in which they promised to provide themselves with what was necessary, and Dr. Ervias to perform what he had promised. I received the letters from these two reverend fathers, pressing me to admit the women. But I was afraid to receive them, lest some opposition might be raised against those who might enter, as often happens and likewise because I saw no certainty for their support, for that which they offered was not binding. 
All this caused me to fall into great perplexity. Afterwards, I discovered it was from the devil, because although our Lord had given me courage, I was then so great a coward, that I seemed to have no confidence at all in God. But the prayers of these holy souls at length prevailed. One day after communion, when I was recommending the matter to God, as I often do, for that which first induced me to return a favorable answer was the fear, lest I might put an obstacle to the proficiency of some souls, and all my desire ever was to find out some means whereby our Lord might be praised, and that there might be some to serve Him in greater perfection, His Majesty gave me a sharp reproof, saying, With what treasures has all been effected that has been done till now? Do not doubt about founding this house, for it will greatly advance my glory and the good of souls. How powerful are the words of God, for the understanding not only apprehends them, but is thereby enlightened to know the truth, and the will is disposed to desire to execute them. And so it happened to me, for I was not only delighted to found the monastery, but it seemed to me that I did wrong in waiting, and being so wedded to human reason, as I have seen how far exceeds our reasons, that which His Majesty has done for this holy order. Being resolved then to admit this foundation, it appeared necessary for me to go with the nuns who were to remain in the house, for many reasons which presented themselves to me, although I was greatly opposed to the journey, having arrived very unwell at Malagon, and was so still. But knowing that God would thereby be served, I wrote to my superior to command what he thought proper. He sent me the license for the foundation, commanding me to go and take with me what nuns I thought proper. This made me very solicitous about choosing such as could live with those who were already there. Recommending the matter earnestly to our Lord, I took two from the monastery of St. Joseph's in Toledo, one to be the prioress, and two from Malagon, one of them to be the sub-prioress. The undertaking, having been recommended to God, succeeded very well, which I considered no small favor, for in those foundations which begin from themselves alone, every one looks to his own convenience. Padre Fray Antonio de Jesus and Padre Prior Gabriel de la Ascension came for us. Necessaries having been furnished by the people, we left Malagon on the Saturday before Lent, being the 13th of February, 1580. God was pleased to give us such fine weather, and to me such good health, that it seemed as if I had never been ill. I wondered greatly at this, and considered how important it is not to consider our weak health, when opportunities of serving God present themselves, whatever contradictions may be placed in our way. Since He is able to make us strong from being weak, and healthy from being sickly, and when He does not wish to do this, then it is better for our soul to suffer, for why are life and health given us, save to lose them in the service of so great a king and lord, and with our eyes fixed on his honor and glory, to forget ourselves? Believe me, sisters, you will never receive any harm in going along this road. I confess to you, that my wickedness and weakness often made me doubt and fear, but I remember not, since our lord gave me the habit of a discouse nun for some years before, but that, by his mercy alone, he gave me grace to overcome these temptations, and to devote myself entirely to what I considered conduced most to his honor, however difficult it might be. I clearly perceived how little that was which I did on my part, 
but God desires no more than such a resolution from us, to do the whole thing himself on his part. May he be ever blessed and praised. Amen. We had to pass by the monastery of Our Lady of Succor, mentioned before, which was nine miles from Via Nueva. And there we had to stay and give notice that we were come, for so we had agreed upon, and it was proper I should in all things obey those fathers with whom we traveled. The house stands in a desert, and the solitude is very pleasing, and when we came near, the religious came forth to receive their prior with great solemnity, and when they came forth barefooted, with their poor cloaks of cloth on them, they excited great devotion in us all, and me especially they filled with great tenderness, supposing myself to be then living in the flourishing age of our holy fathers. They seemed at that time to be so many white odiferous flowers, and such I believe they are now before God, for in my opinion he is truly served by them. They enter the church, singing the Te Deum, with voices that showed their mortification. The passage to the church is underground, as if through a grotto, which represented that of our father Elias. Indeed, I experienced such great inward joy, that I would have considered a much longer journey very well employed, though I was very sorry for the death of the blessed Cardona, by whose means God had founded this house, because I had not deserved to see her, though I wished it much. I think it will not be amiss to relate here something concerning her life, and by what means our Lord wished this convent to be founded there which, as I have been informed, has been so advantageous to many souls in the neighborhood, and considering also the mortifications of this saint, you will see, sisters, how far behind her we ourselves are, and thus you will strive with fresh vigor to serve our Lord, since there is no reason why we should be inferior to her, we who have not descended from so high and noble a family. For though this be of no consequence, yet I mention it, because she lived in great affluence and pleasure, suitable to her rank, having descended from the Dukes of Cardona. Hence she was called Doña Catalina de Cardona. But afterwards, when she wrote to me, as she did sometimes, she only subscribed herself the sinner. Concerning her life, before God had conferred on her such great favors, they will tell you who shall write her life, for there are many things especially worth relating. But lest some of these should not be made known to you, I will relate what many persons deserving of credit, and who converse with her, have told me. Although she lived among persons of high quality, yet she always took great care of her soul, and did much penance. She had a great desire of mortification, and of going to some place where she could alone enjoy God, and wholly give herself to penance without anyone disturbing her. She spoke to her confessors on the subject, but they would not give their consent. As the world is now particular about discretion, and so forgetful of the great favors which God has bestowed on his saints, who served him in the deserts, I am not surprised at such a wish being accounted foolish. But as his majesty fails not to assist sincere desires, that so they may be accomplished, he ordered things so, that she went to confession to a Franciscan friar, named Fray Francisco de Tormez, whom I knew very well, and considered to be a saint. He lived many years in great fervor of penance and prayer, suffering many persecutions. He must have understood the favor God bestows on those, who strive to dispose themselves to receive them. Accordingly, he told her not to delay, but to follow the call of his divine majesty, 
I know not if these were the exact words, but such we may suppose them to have been, as she immediately put them in execution. She opened her mind to a hermit who lived at Alcala, and begged of him to conduct her to some place, without any one knowing where she went. They came to the spot where this convent now stands, and found a small cave that was scarcely large enough to hold her, and here the hermit left her. But what love it was that brought her, since she had no concern about her support, nor about the dangers which might follow, nor the infamy she might expose herself to, by not appearing in public. How inebriated must this holy soul have been, so absorbed and anxious lest any one should hinder her from the enjoyment of her spouse, and how resolute to desire nothing more in the world, since she had fled from all its pleasures. Let us consider this well, sisters, and observe how at one blow she overcame everything, for though what you do by entering this holy order be no less, inasmuch as you offer to God your whole will, and observe such perpetual enclosure, yet I know not if first fervor did not pass away in some, and we again become in some things subject to self-love. May his majesty grant it may not be so, but that imitating this saint in flying from the world, we may also keep far from it in our interior. I have heard many things of the great austerity of her life, of which the least is known, because living in that solitude so many years, with such ardent desires of doing penance, and without any one to restrain her, no doubt she treated her body terribly. I will relate what some persons have heard from herself, and our nuns of St. Joseph's in Toledo, whom she went to see, and as she discoursed with the sisters in simplicity, and so she did likewise with other persons, because her candor was great, her humility must have been great. And as one who well knew she had nothing of herself, so she was far from vainglory, and delighted to tell the favors God bestowed on her, in order that his name might be praised and glorified for them. This is a thing very dangerous for those, who have not arrived at such a degree of perfection, because it may at least appear to be a kind of self-praise. But her candor and holy simplicity freed her from this fault, for I never heard any one ascribe such a fault to her. She said she lived eight years in that cave, and passed many days only on the herbs and roots she found in the field. For when the three loaves were eaten, which he had left who came with her, she had nothing till a shepherd came by, who afterwards supplied her with bread and meal. For her food were certain little cakes baked in the sun, and nothing else. And these she took every three days. The friars also who live there are witnesses of the truth of what I say. She was so spent with all these mortifications, that when she went about the erection of a monastery, they sometimes made her eat a herring or such like thing, but it did her more harm than good. She never drank wine that I know of. Her disciplines were made with a large chain, and they lasted two hours sometimes, or an hour and a half. The sackcloth she wore was so very rough, that a certain woman told me, who on returning from a pilgrimage had slept with her one night, that pretending to be asleep, she saw her put off the sackcloth, full of blood, and wash it. But more than this she endured from the devils, as she related to the nuns already mentioned, who appeared to her in the form of great mastiff dogs, who leapt upon her shoulders. Others were like snakes, but she had not the least fear of them. After she had founded the monastery, she still lived and slept in her grotto, never going out except to the divine office. 
and before the convent was founded, she went to hear mass at the church of the Fathers de la Merced, which was a quarter of a league off. Sometimes she went there on her knees. Her clothes were of coarse cloth, and so made that all thought she was a man. After she had lived there alone for many years, our Lord wished her sanctity to be known, and accordingly people began to have such devotion to her that she could not free herself from them. She spoke to all with great charity and love, and in the meantime the crowds of people increased, and happy was he who could speak with her. She was so wearied by them that she said they would kill her. When the morning came, the whole road was full of coaches, and from the time the religious began to live there, they had no other remedy but to lift her up on high, that so she might give the people her blessing, and thus they kept themselves from the crowd. After she had been eight years in this cave, which had been enlarged by those who went to see her, she fell into a most dangerous sickness, of which she thought she should die. Yet she endured all in her love. She began to have a great desire of erecting a monastery of friars there, and thus she continued for some time, not knowing which order to choose. Being once in prayer before a crucifix, which she was always accustomed to wear, our Lord showed her a white cloak, by which she understood the monastery was to be of the discalced Carmelites. She had never heard of them before, nor knew that they were in the world. And then, only two convents had been founded, those of Mansera and Pastrana. She had no doubt inquired about these, and as she heard there was one in Pastrana, and had in past time carried on a great correspondence with the princess of Evoli, wife of Prince Rui Gomez, lord of Pastrana, she went there to see about the erection of this monastery, which she so much desired. There in the monastery of Pastrana, and in the church of St. Peter, for thus it is called, she took the habit of Our Lady, though not with the intention of being a nun or professed, for she never had any inclination thereto, because Our Lord guided her by another way. She thought that by obedience she might be deprived of her solitude and intended austerities. She received the habit of Our Lady of Carmel, all the religious being present. Father Mariano was there, of whom mention has been made in these foundations, who told me that he had a rapture which entirely took away his senses, and when in this state he saw many friars and nuns dead, some beheaded, and others with their legs and arms cut off, according as they were martyred, for this was intimated in the vision. And he is a man that would not speak so, unless he saw it, nor is his soul accustomed to such raptures, as God does not conduct him that way. Pray to God, my sisters, that the vision may be true, and that in this our day we may deserve so great a blessing, and may also be of the number. The holy Cardona began from Pastrana, to procure assistance towards erecting her monastery, and for this purpose she went to court, which she so willingly left, and this with no small trouble, where she had many contradictions and afflictions to endure, for when she left the house she could not get away from the crowd, and this happened wherever she went some cut her habit, and others a piece of her cloak. Then she went to Toledo, where she lived with our nuns. They all assured me, the fragrance which came from her body was so great, that even her habit and girdle, after she took it off, they gave her another, and kept the old one, were fragrant, a circumstance which excited them to praise our Lord. 
and the nearer they came to her, the greater was the scent, though her garments were such as ought not to have smelled so sweetly, considering the heat which then prevailed. I know they would not have said this, had it not been true. And thus they entertained great devotion towards her. At court and other places, she received abundant alms, to enable her to erect the monastery, and having procured a license, it was founded. The church was built where her grotto was, and they made her another out of the way, where there was a sculpted sepulchre, and there she spent most of her time, both day and night. This did not last long, for she did not live above five years and a half after founding the monastery, and considering how austere was the life she led, and how long she had already lived, it seemed supernatural that she continued so long. Her death happened in the year 1577, and her funeral was kept, as I hear, with very great solemnity, for a gentleman named Don Juan de Leon contributed largely towards the expense. She now lies buried in a tomb, in a chapel of Our Ladies, to whom she was remarkably devoted, until a church shall be built larger than the one they have now, to inter her blessed body in, as is fit. For her sake, this monastery is greatly esteemed, and it seems the same devotion still continues in it, and in all the neighborhood, especially when one beheld that solitude and care where she lived before the monastery was built. They assured me she was so weary and afflicted, on seeing the great multitudes who came to visit her, that she would have gone into another country afar off, where no one would have known her, and for this purpose she sent for the hermit who had conducted her there, that so he might take her away, but he was dead. Our Lord, having resolved this house should be erected to the honor of Our Lady, would not allow her to go away, because, as I hear, he is zealously served there. The religious have excellent dispositions, and one can clearly see how pleased they are to be separated from the world, and especially the prior, whom Our Lord took from great pleasures, that so he might take the habit. But he has fully repaid him, by making his worldly pleasures spiritual. They showed us great kindness here, by giving us what they had in the church, for the use of the foundation, and this holy woman having been beloved by so many great persons, the church was well provided with ornaments. I received great consolations all the time I was there, though to my great confusion, and this still continues, because I saw that she who did such severe penance was a woman like myself, and more delicately brought up but not so great a sinner as I am, for in this point there is no comparison between her and me, and I have received much greater favors from our Lord in many ways. And that I am not already in hell, as my sins deserve, is a great mercy. Only the desire of amendment comforts me, but this is not much, because my whole life has been passed away in desires, and works I have done none." May the mercy of God protect me, in which I have always trusted, through the merits of his most holy Son, and of the Virgin Our Lady, whose habit I wear, by the goodness of our Lord. One day, after I had communicated in that holy church, a rapture happened to me which took away my senses. In it this holy woman was represented to me, by an intellectual vision, as a glorified body, and some angels were with her, and she told me, not to grow weary, but to endeavor to go on with these foundations. I understood, though she did not signify such, that she assisted me before God. She told me also another thing, which there is no occasion to mention. 
I was greatly comforted by these words, and began to desire troubles. And I hope in the goodness of our Lord, that, being aided so well by her prayers, I shall be able to serve him in something. See here, my daughters and sisters, how soon her trials are over, and the glory she now enjoys shall last for ever. Let us now force ourselves, through the love of our Lord, to follow the steps of this, our sister, abhorring ourselves as she did, for we shall soon finish our journey's end, since everything passes so quickly away. We arrived at Via Nueva on the first Sunday in Lent, being the vigil of St. Peter's Chair, and the Feast of St. Barbados, in the year 1580. On the same day the Most Blessed Sacrament was placed in the Church of the Glorious St. Anne, at the time of High Mass. The whole of the corporation came forth to receive us, and some others with Dr. Ervias. We alighted to the parish church, which was a good distance from St. Anne's. The joy of the people was so great, that it gave me great consolation, to behold with what pleasure they received the order of the Most Blessed Virgin, Our Lady. We heard the bells ring at a great distance, and as soon as we had entered the church, they commenced the Te Deum, the canons taking one verse and the organ another. This being finished, the most blessed sacrament was placed on one car, and Our Lady's image on another, surrounded with crosses and standards, and thus the procession went forward with great solemnity. We walked in the middle, with our white cloaks and veils on, near to the most blessed sacrament. Next came our discalced fathers in great numbers from the monastery, then the Franciscan fathers, for there was a monastery belonging to them in the town, and with them a Dominican friar, who was then in the town alone. I was much pleased to see that habit there. As it was a long way, several altars were erected, at which sometimes they stopped, singing some hymns of our order, which caused great devotion in us, to see how all praised the great God whom they had present before them, and how, for his sake, so much notice was taken of seven poor discalced nuns who joined the procession. But at the same time I considered as I walked along, to my great confusion, that, had they treated me according to my deserts, they should all have turned against me. I have thus given you, sisters, a long account of the honor shown to the habit of Our Lady, that you may praise Our Lord, and beseech Him that He may be served in this foundation. I am, however, more delighted when in founding monasteries I suffer many persecutions and troubles, and these I more joyfully recount to you. True it is, that those sisters who lived there before we came, endured a great deal for about six years, or at least five and a half, after they entered the house of the glorious St. Anne. Besides the poverty and trouble they endured in procuring means of subsistence, for they never liked to ask alms, lest the people might think they came there to be supported by them. I will not speak of their severe penances, their long fasts, their scanty meals, their poor beds, and being obliged to live in a small house, which was most inconvenient, considering how strict their enclosure was. But the greatest affliction they suffered, as they told me, was the ardent desire they had to see themselves clothed with the habit. And this desire tormented them day and night exceedingly, because they thought they should never have the habit. And thus all their prayers were offered to God, that he would grant them this favor, and they prayed for this with many tears. And when they saw any difficulty in the way, they were extremely afflicted, and increased their penances. From what they earned or received, 
they paid the messengers who were sent to me, thus proving to those who were able in any way to relieve them, that they could maintain themselves in their poverty. I was convinced, after I had spoken with them and observed their sanctity, that their prayers and tears had been instrumental in getting them admitted into the order, and I esteem it as a much greater treasure that there are such souls in the order, than if we had great revenues, and I hope the house may go on and prosper. When we came to the house, they were all at the door within, each one clothed as she liked, for they had the same attire on then as they had when they first entered. For they never wished to assume the religious habit, as they expected ours, though what they wore was very modest. But one might easily perceive thereby, being so badly dressed and looking so pale and thin as they did, how severe had been the mortification of their life. They received us with many tears of great joy, which it plainly appeared were not counterfeit, and by this their joy were discovered their great virtue, humility, and obedience to the prioress, and to all who came to found the monastery. They could do nothing too much to please us. All their fear was lest we should return back, seeing their poverty and small inconvenient house. No one of them ever commanded the rest, but each one did what she could, with all humility and love. The two oldest managed all necessary business, the others never spoke with any one. They slept but little, on account of being obliged to procure their food, and through their desire not to lose their prayers, in which they spent many hours, and on festivals the whole day. They were directed by the works of Luis of Granada and St. Peter of Alcantara. They spent much of their time in reciting the divine office as well as they could. Only one knew how to read well. And this they said not in the present breveries, because certain priests had given them some of the old Roman edition, which were of little use to them. And as they knew not how to read well, they spent many hours over it, and no doubt made many mistakes. But God accepted their good intentions, and they said the office in a place where they could not be heard by the people outside. When Father Antonio de Jesus began to converse with them, he perceived it, and told them to say only the office of Our Lady. They had an oven, where they baked their bread, and everything was done with such order in the house, as if they had a superioress. All this made me praise Our Lord the more. And the more I conversed with them, the more pleased I was that I had come. It seems to me that I would not have neglected to console these sisters, though I had so many trials to endure. My companions who remained told me that at first they found for several days some reluctance to live with them, but when they discovered their virtues, it was their greatest joy to live with them, for they loved them exceedingly. How powerful are holiness and virtue! It is true that those who came there, whatever difficulties and labors they might have to endure, would have borne them all patiently by our Lord's assistance, because they desire to suffer in his service. And that sister who finds not in herself this desire, let her not esteem herself as a true discalced, since our desire should not be for ease and rest, but for suffering, that so we may in some measure imitate our true spouse. May his majesty be pleased to give us grace to do so. Amen. The origin of this hermitage of St. Anne was thus. There lived here a priest, born at Zamora, whose name was Diego de la Guadalajara, who had been a religious of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. His hermitage was near this house, and he had thus an opportunity of hearing Mass. 
being a very devout man, he went to Rome and obtained a bull granting many indulgences to this church or hermitage. When he was dying, he ordered in his will that this house and all his possessions should be given towards the foundation of a monastery of nuns of Our Lady of Carmel. And if this could not be done, that a chaplain should be appointed to say masses there every week. But wherever the monastery should be built, that there should be no obligation of saying the masses. Thus it remained with the chaplain for more than twenty years, having a small rent. For though these sisters lived in the house, they had nothing but the empty house, the chaplain living in another house belonging to him, which will come to us with the rest, which is very little. But the mercy of God is so great, that he will not fail to protect the house of the glorious St. Anne, his grandmother. May his majesty be always served therein, and may all creatures praise him for ever and ever. Amen. End of chapter 27